much. Rolling for August 30th, 2022. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hessenklove. And I'm Pam Bedore. Hey, it's the end of the month and Pam Bedore is here. Good morning, Pam. Good morning. It's so good to see you guys, hear you guys. It feels like a long time. I look forward to being literate, Steve. Looking forward to this all through August. I'm so glad you're here, Pam, to discuss our book. It's the end of the month and time for some knowledge. Oh, this book. This book. Hey, this book. <laughs> oh, I can't do it that way. But no, <laughs> you know, I've read this book before. You guys have read this book before. What a really great way to start the new school year. Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Hey, Chip, did you make it to the movie theater this week? Steve, I was a really busy driver. Um, So, no, I did not go to the movie this week. I did not either, but I did very consciously sit down and enjoy some of the movies that we previewed last week. The first one is called Funny Pages. This is the feature film directorial debut from Owen Klein, the son of Kevin Klein and Phoebe Cates. He is a 30-something, really interesting filmmaker. I look forward to his next movie after Funny Pages. (laughs) So this is uh, a a movie about a teenage cartoonist. Yes. The the story is this kid in high school decides he loves cartooning. He's, He's really influenced by the underground comic books that we read about at the convention a few months back. And the story really mirrors what those underground comics meant to the 60s and 70s. One of the questions that this brought up is what is the setting for this story? He's this kid who's reading stories from the 60s and 70s written by a kid who is not from that era. And it's never really stated in this movie when this takes place is this a modern tale or is this a period piece about a kid uh, of a different era and and there was nothing there to give it away the televisions the the phones anything like that the closest we have to that is in an office he's using open office 4 Open Office 4 was released in 2012. Therefore, this must occur after 2012, but there's no indication other than that. This is a very um, underground sort of story about those underground comics and the cartooning of that art. And we get some very dark imagery that is very similar to those dirty pictures that we read about a few months ago the kid so was it dirty uh was he doing dirty pictures or was he doing just underground comics dirty pictures this is this is definitely uh sexual imagery overly over the top sexual imagery is discussed very often in this and and some of those come to life in the movie uh this this kid is in peril throughout this film my wife and i watched this and we just kept turning to each other and going this kid is in danger this could turn into a 
traumatic situation at any point here. Was it part of the story that he quit school, quit high school? And the reason he quit high school is because his favorite teacher, his art teacher, was killed in a horrific car accident in the beginning of this film. And we see that trauma on this kid leading him to these decisions that he is going to live with what he wants to do, which is cartooning. Okay. I think Owen Klein has a a style. I think that this is going to be a style that will carry him throughout his career. The independent storytelling of this is very similar to what I loved about Clerks in 1994. Uh, The film style, there's, there's a very 1990s sheen to the filter that they used for the pictures in this. And he uses a, an extreme close-up almost every part of this movie is just one person's face and not even their whole face, the whole movie. We are examining very closely each of these characters and not getting a broad picture of what's happening. Uh, I look forward to what he's going to be doing in the future, but I, I can't recommend funny pages to many people. Well, Steve, there's an opportunity on Prime Video. (laughs) Since I was there on Prime Video, my wife and I kept watching movies, and we decided The Samaritan, which is the new Sylvester Stallone superhero movie that came out this week, was our next stop. This is a very standard superhero tale. Sylvester Stallone, at 76 years old, is this recluse who uh, the kid in the neighborhood finds out is the superhero that was lost to the culture 25 years before. And this kid is obsessed with this superhero. Sylvester Stallone can still do it at 76 years of age. How wonderful. Steve, on Hulu, there was another show. Yeah, we watched the entirety of the series A League of Their Own on Hulu over the last few weeks. This is the comedy series that is very similar to the movie A League of Their Own from 1992, but at the same time, it is very different. This is the story of World War II when all of the men went off to war and the women took their place in the jobs of America. And we see the formation of the All-American Professional Women's Baseball League. Steve, is it the Rockford team? Is that still the focus? Yep, it is still the Rockford Peaches. So we still have you know, images of Wrigley field in this series and all sorts of other locations around the area. But this story is very different from that 1992 story. This is a very 21st century storytelling. The historic parts of 1940 are not well represented here. It's interesting that they took the setting of 1940 World War II and told us a story about relationships, a, a story about people, a story about romance that brews Steve, between. Was, was there crying? Was there crying, Steve? the line from 1992 there's no crying in baseball no that was not a part of this series nick offerman plays the tom hanks character here and and does it very well but he's a very different kind of manager than tom hanks portrayed in 1992 i enjoyed this very much we do get 
two of the original players from the Rockford Peaches have a cameo in the first episode. I believe both of them have passed away since, but they were still there in the stands at the beginning of the filming of this series. Rosie O'Donnell gets a cameo from the original 1992 movie. This was created by Abby Jacobson, who is also the star of this show, and Will Graham. Uh, the the star, the real star of this show is Darcy Carden, who I just adore. I love her work. She is a beautiful woman whose acting is phenomenal. You might remember her from The Good Place. She she had a very comedic turn there. This is a much more serious comedy. It's still funny. There's still funny things that happen. Uh, but I, I recommend A League of Their Own on on hulu if you want a different take on history opening this week we've got some movies that might be interesting there's one called gg and nate this is the story of a man and his monkey steve he's a quadriplegic not the monkey but the man <laughs> so he's not driving a truck this is not bj and the bear no no uh left turn clyde exactly in which way, but loose, Steve. Yes, in, in that uh, vein, uh, it's it's a story of a man and his monkey. I look forward to this one. You can't you can't go wrong with that storyline. I think this is going to be a very touching story about a man who who needs help and finding the help he needs in in this capuchin monkey. Steve, let's go uh, back to World War Two times. Yeah, back to World War II. Seems like a theme for today's show, Chip. Uh, th there's a movie called Burial that's coming out this week. It's about a small group of Russian soldiers who have the task of taking Hitler's discovered remains back to Stalin in Moscow. Uh, they, World War they, have, they have British accents, Steve. Of course they do. All foreigners have British accents. That's what the movies have taught me. There's a movie called Peter Von Kant. This is the film adaptation of the cult play, The Bitter Tears of Petra Von Kant. Well, how exciting that will that be? Well, we've seen lots of interesting adaptations of plays, and, and this one uh, certainly has a gender switch. It's Peter instead of Petra, and uh, the story of a life told on film. There's a series of stories being told in a horror film this week called tiny cinema and it looks scary steve it does it looks weird and otherworldly uh i'm sure that the filmmakers are very proud of what they've done i'm just not a fan of horror i just don't like the genre which brings us to our next film steve the next horror movie is called the harbinger <laughs> It's about a family that uh, moves their troubled daughter to a small town and their neighbors start mysteriously dying. Aha. No, nothing, nothing like having your foreigners coming to your community and people dying. See, that yeah. should send a message. Yes. The next movie sends a message as well, Chip. It's called Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Yeah, that's Jordan Peels. Uh, he's the producer of this. And it's a mockumentary, Steve, about a megachurch. I wonder what humor they can find. Yeah, a scandalized megachurch. Uh, boy, I think that there's a lot of messaging here about the state of religion in 2022. Steve, we need some documentaries. There are a series of documentaries this week, like there usually are. The first one is called We Are As Gods. This is the story of Stuart Brand, whose name I've heard before, but I wasn't really aware of, 
of his influence before watching this trailer. He seems to be uh, like a futurist, and certainly Steve Jobs was one of the people he influenced. And he's working on the Mammoth Project right now, where they are trying to bring back the woolly mammoth. That's uh, that's something. In, in fact, he keeps saying, we're, we've spared no expense. We've spared no expense. I wonder what could go wrong. <laughs> then comes the screaming. We've got a documentary called Our American Family. This is an honest, unfiltered look at a close-knit Philadelphia family dealing with generational substance abuse, a big issue in America in 2022. Sure, and certainly very sad, sad uh, type of film to watch. All right, let's move on to the next one. The next one's called Loving Highsmith. This is based on Patricia Highsmith's personal writings and accounts of her family and her life. The film casts a new light on the famous thriller writer's life and oeuvre. I just love the word oeuvre. Oeuvre, not oeuvre, oeuvre. Um, the, uh, if you're not familiar with who Patricia Highsmith is, she's the writer of uh, The Talented Mr. Ripley. Mm-hmm. Um, among many other really well-written stories that have come into our culture, for sure. Steve, I like hiking. Is there a film um, that is being introduced that would allow me to experience more hiking? <laughs> Good news, Chip. There's a whole TV series that's coming to Amazon Prime this week. The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power is starting this week. We've been talking about this for years. The prequel to J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Why do I think that they've missed an opportunity to hook up with, like, Map My Run to record <laughs> the amount of, of, amount of walking you get done watching this series? <laughs> Even the trees walked in that movie. <laughs> Brings us to our book and our book of the week. The reason why Pam is here is our monthly book club. And boy, oh boy, oh, this book, Pam. This book, uh, I think we had all read it before. It's probably been close to 20 years for me, um, but what a great book to, to read at this very moment. This month's book is Mouse by Art Spiegelman. This was published in 1986. It is the first Pulitzer Prize winning graphic novel all about the Holocaust and Art Spiegelman's family's experiences in that time. His father's experiences yeah. is what we're getting. We're getting the, the father's, it's called, a, you know, the father bleeds history. Mm -hmm. And Art Spiegelman, for those who don't know, was an alternative comic artist, uh, cartoonist, who spent many years, he, he worked on a lot of the, um, I don't know, the trading cards that we got when we were young that were all the, uh, I don't know, the, the gross ones that they would have. The wacky packages, the weird things that, that, are very much a message about consumerism that that led then to the garbage pail kids after Art Spiegelman, right? And and so for for young people who are not familiar with this at all, back in the '60s and 1970s, you know, many 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 years ago, they would right beside the baseball cards, they would have these cards, and they would come with a piece of gum, and you would have all these stickers and 
things like that you could put all over everything. They're supposed to be gross and funny and all that other fun stuff. And satirical. We are certainly satirizing the idea of these packages that we see in the in the store. So it brings us to Mouse. Mm-hmm. What Mouse was Art Spiegelman's uh, conversation with his father. And he felt it was important enough to kind of serialize that conversation. It was released in a, a magazine called Raw and a number of other places. Eventually, it was combined and put into a story. There's two volumes. We're reading uh, volume one today. And the reason why it was brought to us in school starting is that this story has been banned from some school systems. And I, first of all, rereading this after 20, 25 years, I still don't understand how this is banned. What was, what are they talking about that would make this controversial? I mean, other than it, there was, it was World War II and there was death in the concentration camps and what people did to Jews. There is definitely a trauma to this reading, the, the idea of what happened to these people. And we see in, in this graphic novel that these are not people, they're mice, which is a very interesting representation. But I can't imagine banning this book. There, I don't see anything overly... It's controversial in this. We don't have, there's no graphic sex scenes. There's no, Anne Frank's um, diary has been edited. Mm-hmm. So, so th- you're not getting the full text. Um, th- there's nothing that, and I'm, I'm reading this that I would say, oh, this, you know, what, what, um, what are we, you know, introducing to our children? Mm-hmm. This is a story um, of a, a son interviewing his father about a horrific um, time in history. T- yeah, it, it was part of history. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how sad that dad had to experience this. And it certainly has uh, impacted how dad has lived his life since then and the people around him. Well, and I'm intrigued by this notion that now that most of us probably don't know someone who actually survived the Holocaust as we're into 2022, and certainly our children will will not meet a Holocaust survivor. So this history is feeling a little bit far away from our kids, right? And so I, I guess to me, it feels like this is the moment we need to be reading this history, not the moment to ban it. But I think that is very much the controversy that has arisen from this one school board voting to take it off of their eighth grade curriculum. Um, I think, you know, I was reading that the, the novel soared to the top of the Amazon list in response to the controversy about removing it. It's amazing to me to think that some people are willing to put aside the history of the Holocaust to, to ignore the history, the lessons that were learned there. Um, it's, it's unbelievable to me that a school board in Tennessee has banned the teaching of this book in January of 2022, that we don't learn from this moment. We don't acknowledge the hurt that happened in this. All right, so let's make sure we're clear. They're, they're banning it. They're not. They're not. Ban- are they banning it from the library or banning it as one of their core teaching books? As as a book to teach in class. 
Okay, but maybe maybe I'm a little. Um, you know, I was thinking they were they were banning it from the, the library. Yeah. You know, all right. So maybe that's a little different. I do think we are so far away. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if there's anyone still living that, um, or maybe very few people are living right. who were part of that moment. Um, and, and if you know, or, or if you, if you, our generation has had conversations with people who mm-hmm. were part of it. Correct. Exactly. And it, and but our kids will not. Yeah. And it's certainly, it becomes a long, long way. Uh, it becomes a long, long way. I mean, it just, what can I say? It's all just a story at the end. That's, that's life. That's history. We are all just stories in the end. And yes, my interaction with my grandfather, who was in a concentration camp, whose wife and son were both killed in a concentration camp, who escaped with his life, married my grandmother, and then escaped Europe as fast as they could. That's something that is a part of who I am. And I understand that on a level that my kids can't, I can tell them that story, but it's just a story stories like this graphic novels like this, where we get some idea of that emotion, that feeling of that history. And I think that's incredibly important. And and you're getting a first person, uh, a first person account Mm -hmm. of it. And um, it, it is important because I think people forget that humans can be cruel mm-hmm. to other humans. And it's ju- just having that empathy um, and, and once again recognizing that when you see something that looks really bad happening, you know, turning the other cheek, or t- I'm sorry, turning the, the you know, away from it doesn't make it go away. Doesn't make it go away. Yeah. yeah. This is this is an emotional story, even though we're getting so much of a uh, second person perspective from the author, getting this story from his father, seeing so much of the humor of the character of his father in this. I have to say, that's one of the things that I had forgotten. So having read it a few times and I've uh, taught a segment of it in my uh, American lit class. It's in, there's a, there's a piece in the Norton anthology of American literature. That's frequently taught in college classes. Um, I had forgotten the humor that sort of wry, gentle, making fun of his father's qualities. Like, you know, he's a careful man, i.e. a super cheap man. And, And I think that, you know, that's such a, the humor there is so important because Art does make fun of his dad for that, but he also recognizes, like, hearing his story, why he takes a napkin from the restaurant instead of buying napkins at the grocery store, right? And so there's, <laughs> there's like, some real insight. This is, a, this is a very pedagogical humor, a humor that's doing work and providing insight, not making fun of. How about dad's cadence? I mean, could there be uh, a more Jewish way of talking? Yes. <laughs> if you had to be, it's like, all right, you're an actor. You're going to play a Jewish old man. And it's like, that's going to be the man. That's the language. <laughs> and, and you listen to our talk. And art is, I mean, classic American, what we would say, talking pattern. 
but dad, he's got the old world. <laughs> and he captures that so well in the text. He's able to give us that dialect. I, I enjoy when an author can give us a dialect that really resonates in my mind while I'm reading it. And I hate it when they don't do it well. There's some bad dialect writing. This is great dialect writing. And somehow I think that the graphic element, the visual element of this story makes the dialect even more real mm. for some reason. The idea, I love all of those panels where the dad is on his exercise bike, right? And so somehow the fact that he's like breathing hard, he's got those little drops of sweat, you know, rolling off of him and the dialect, it somehow makes it even more I can hear it even better from seeing it in words and in images at the same time. And you can just hear that by saying that, using the comic language uh, of, of drawing. But you also you know, know that there was a doctor somewhere and said, you need to get more exercise. And that was his response. I'm going to get this. The spot. And you can imagine the situation where the son really wants to talk to the father and the father just, I need to go on the exercise bike now while I'm having this conversation. You are in that room so strongly in this. But guys, I think as someone who regularly exercises, if I'm going to watch a horror movie, I, I can't just sit and watch a horror movie. It's too scary for me. But if I'm on an exercise machine, I could watch it small on my and that would be okay. I feel like there's a way that that exercise bike, that multitasking allows the dad to deal with the trauma, right? Mm -hmm. You can't just look his son in the eye and say, son, this is the trauma. This is how your half brother, that's the most devastating, was, was killed by his caretaker mm -hmm being given up to the Nazis. I mean, he can't look at his son and say that. He has to be doing something else while sort of talking to the side, not looking straight on, because this is the kind of trauma, not just individual trauma, cultural, ethnic trauma that you just can't look at straight. And that, that's really, that's insightful because you're right. Sitting down and talking about it like, you know, lay back and tell me about it. Really could be reliving it. Mm -hmm. But having something as mindless as walking or riding a bike or something allows um, maybe that adrenaline, whatever is going on, to kind of play through, to allow you to get through something that certainly is so traumatic in your mind mm -hmm. that you've got to somehow distance yourself to be able to talk about it. My grandfather never, ever told us any of his stories from the concentration camp. He, he was very closed to sharing that trauma, that intergenerational trauma, that idea that one generation leads and all of the things that happen to one generation leads to the next generation is real. And my grandfather, we celebrated Christmas in in his home and we didn't know until after he passed away that we did the math and wait a minute he was not celebrating christmas he was celebrating the marriage that ended in the concentration camp they got married on december 25th and he threw a huge feast and celebrated with us and it wasn't about christmas 
those sorts of things are intergenerational, you know, things that get passed down, even the trauma. And uh, I, I can understand how it would it would be easy to break down while telling the story and a little bit easier to tell the story if you're distracted by something like the exercise bike, which is pretty funny. I was going to say, my grandfather also was in World War II, and he was one of the, they went to Dachau. Um, and they had to figure out a way to take a starving people and, and reintroduce food to them. They couldn't just give them food. They would throw it up. But, um, and basically, they, they, uh, ultimately, the person who was in charge of the command marched to town, got the, the locals, and had them come to see what, what really had happened. Um, I mean, I just you can imagine. Mm -hmm. But anyway, my grandfather never talked about anything. About concerning uh, any of the war situations, with one exception, my father. So it was something that you could quietly talk about, but certainly not, he wasn't going to introduce that type of horror mm -hmm. to um, the family or introduce that type of horror to the family on purpose, on purpose. And I think that's part of what's so brilliant about this storytelling is that this survivor tells just his son, you get the feeling, he's not talking about this all the time. He tells just his son while on his exercise bike. And then that trauma, that difficulty of looking straight ahead is transmitted to his son as well, because that's a very, very hard thing for Art Spiegelman to think about. And I think in chapter four, the Noose Titans, right in the middle of that chapter, there's this moment where we're in we're in the Holocaust and all of the images are from the Holocaust. And they're talking about, should they give the baby up for safekeeping? And then after that discussion, suddenly we go to the exercise bike and that's like Art Spiegelman himself. He can't keep looking at the people in the Holocaust, people he's never even met. And then we get um, Ezeki and his wife didn't come out from the war and that's above a picture of his dad biking. But his son remained alive. Ours did not. We don't see the baby. We see the dad biking. And anyway, we had to give Richier to hide a year later. And to me, the pathos of that is also like Spiegelman, the narrator, is also not quite able to look at it straight on as we shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Humanity. And Steve... Your family history has something very similar to that. Your, your grandfather was smuggled out of the country. Did it, was he given up? Uh, my, my grandparents left Europe after he was removed from the concentration camp, and they left on illegal papers, and they illegally entered the United States and accidentally stayed here for, for the rest of uh, three generations. And... Um, it, it is that story that has been told over and over again. I think the graphic novel piece of this is a great way to be able to express that story. And I'm going to go even further. Just a few weeks ago, I was at a, a, a gaming convention and we were playing games and a, a, a gentleman came in from another uh, city and we was playing, we were having dinner and we were talking. And anyway, he was uh, from Hungary. He was Jewish. He's an, he's, an, you know, he's an American. But anyway, before he got there, he had bought all of his gear, military gear, went to a military surplus. 
he was planning on or is planning on going over and working with the Ukraine and fighting with the Ukraine army mm -hmm. against the Russians. So you can see even, you know, we're 100 years later, the, the, um, the connection to, listen, this was really bad at that point. I feel a duty to go back mm -hmm. and defend, which is, once again, um, just how strong those ties can be. And my family's Hungarian as well. And uh, boy, the last few pages of Mouse, where they say they're going to Hungary really struck me because this family was seeking a, a place of safety and leaving Poland because Poland was not safe and going into Hungary. And and history tells us Hungary was the next to fall. That is that is not safe. And, and that really struck me reading this. And, and something also is that Spiegelman, the, uh, the, the grandfather, it seems to me he always had resources. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> there are families who didn't have resources. Agreed. So he had the ability as best he could to at least navigate a little bit where, I mean, imagine. And, and that may have been the reason why he, he was so miserly mm -hmm. um, because you know, the, the, the new wife, the second wife was saying like, I, you know, we have enough resources to do this, but dad can't, your granddad, uh, can't let any of it go um, to, to make his life better. He's, he's still concerned. My grandfather somehow navigated that life in the concentration camp. He somehow avoided being tattooed. He never had a number on his arm somehow. I, I honestly don't know how, and I, I don't know that I want to know how, but his wedding ring is somehow in my hand right now. Somehow this piece of gold made it through that situation, whatever it was. We get that in this book where the, the father says, I, I hid all of our valuables in the chimney and I was able to go and get them afterwards. I don't know how this ring is in my hand, but he was able to give it to me to, to make my wedding vows with my wife. And that's, that's like shivers. It, wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I don't read a lot of Holocaust. I don't watch a lot of Holocaust movies. I did watch Schindler's list. Uh, my grandparents were not on Schindler's list. They were on the other guy's list. There's, there was another guy that was doing very much the same thing as Schindler, getting those Jews out of Europe and, uh, on illegal papers and, and getting them away. Uh, yes, this is a very, uh, personal story for me. Well, it, it's a good example of why it's, it's like every year there's a movie, there's a book that readdresses this. Mm -hmm. It's almost for, for the American experience. It's like every year, um, recently, recently we get a book about American slavery, mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe the civil war or something like that. It's important not to forget that people can be cruel to other people. Mm-hmm. So I think that this graphic novel, for me, works really well as a way to get that conversation started. What do you think, Pam? Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to get your opinions because I have to say I've thought about this and I'm not sure. What about the representation of the different groups by different animals? It's such a fascinating idea. What do you think are the affordances of that? Um, what, what does that do for you as a reader? Well, it's, I don't know if they would do it today. I don't know if he would make that choice because would you want to show humans not being human? 
I mean, what do I mean by not humans being, not being human? But if we're all hum humans, then we're all cats, or we're all rats, or we're all pigs. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as Spiegelman has divided these different groups into animals, mm -hmm. that works in, in the story, but maybe it's a, 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 of its time because, gee, I couldn't imagine. I mean, we, we work so hard. I mean, humans are humans. Um, no matter what color skin they have, um, it's, it's, that's, it seems to be a useful for this story, but I'm not sure if he would choose that today. I agree with you that it did bother me that we are dividing the Germans as cats, the Jews as mice, the Poles as pigs. It did bother me. But then I, I think about an American tale where the mice, the Jewish mice are, are leaving and coming to the United States and to seek a new life. And I think about how that representation that takes away the humanity of this situation might actually lead us to watch the story to think about the story better and i wonder if it's another version of that not looking too closely like framing it in a way that you can process it and so it makes me think of two different tropes at once it makes me think of george orwell's animal farm which of course uses animals as analogies in order to think through different ideas it also makes me think of children's books right and how you know, Arthur the Aardvark and all of my kids' favorite kids' books have animals standing in for people because they're just more, you know, they're, they're more, they're, they're cuter, they're more. It's less painful to think of it as, as the animal world because the animal world is cruel. The animal world does have these things that are not human and, and inhumane and it, it lessens that blow of it. Absolutely. And, and here's what's the really interesting part of it. It's not like um, Germany, Poland, Hungary. They're all Germanic. Mm -hmm. But it, it would be the equivalent of uh, the people, you know, and, and to, I mean, using today. The people of Illinois are uh, cows. The people of uh, Connecticut are uh, rabbits. And the people of North Carolina are cardinals. I mean, they're, they're just... You know, okay, we could do that, but certainly. Um... And I think about that division that we've been talking about for a few years now, when we read that Civil War book and the, the possibility of dividing our country, the division in Europe that these people did this and those people did that. I think that that is well represented by giving them different animals. Uh, I think that it's a good way to tell the story. Well, and certainly a, a very good cartooning way, mm -hmm. um, because yes. you can think of Walt Disney uh, or Pogo um, or you know anything where they're using animals. You're you're right. As Mr. Spiegelman does think of Walt Disney, but was that? That's why I say it's, that was hilarious. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like a famous, uh, you know, like a famous cartoonist. Um, what's his name? <laughs> Which is like the most backhanded comment ever. And you can see our, our Spiegelman, who is certainly can make a living being a cartoonist, but maybe before Mouse wasn't, I mean, it's not like he is like a millionaire uh, off of this. Maybe he is. I Those underground comics were certainly not the mainstream, and he was certainly not making money with that at the beginning. Well, he, he was, the, the trading cards paid for everything. Mm -hmm. They sold enough of those. 
But what, what I'm trying to say is that he may have been successful enough, but he certainly wasn't Walt Disney um, on, the, on that level. But anyway, to have, I mean, just like every other parent in the world mm-hmm. who half knows what their kids do <laughs> and make some exactly. backhanded comment that is like, just like, oh my goodness, um, you didn't really even think about what you were saying. Yes. No, no, not, they didn't at all. And I think he has, for as a person who works with parents now, they certainly, he, he, he hit it. He hit how it, it is. It really shows that intergenerational divide, right? Oh. There's this, like at the same time as art can only go so far in understanding his father's experience of the Holocaust, his father can only go so far in understanding a profession, his son's profession that he knows nothing about. I mean, it really is that sort of <laughs> both sides of that coin of intergenerational division. Oh. Necessary. <laughs> It's hilarious. Not necessary. Like it is hilarious. It. We experience it with our kids and with our parents. <laughs> the three of us, we know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what middle age is, is being stuck between right? your parents and your kids. That's middle age. Well, and, and eventually, you know, you get to do this to your kids and they go, oh my God. Uh, all right. What, what did mom say again? What did dad say again? <laughs> um, all right. So we can be there three days, but not more. <laughs> you don't understand me, man. <laughs> so guys, I really was curious. What's your favorite, what's your favorite section? What are your favorite like panel or series of panels in this? Because I had a few, but I'm curious what, what you folks thought too. I really love the bunker diagrams in this, the drawing of how these Jews were hiding. Uh, Back to Anne Frank, you know the story of Anne Frank. They were hiding in the attic, and you go, okay, they were hiding in the attic, but you might not really get an understanding of how much space they had available for these people. In these bunker diagrams, we get these images of people hiding under garbage and a coal bin, and in the the back of the shed the grandparents sitting in a chair in the back of the shed and not having any space to do anything but sit uh, those really moved me well how, how about that part where um they go back to the shed and the lady goes oh you're shivering come in for an hour mm-hmm. you can come inside for an hour yeah. only to go back out <laughs> that, that was survival so it, well, I mean, is that helpful? Is it not helpful? I mean, they're they're putting their life on the line, but the point is, is that, gee, I mean, it just shows you sort of the compromised humanity. Both sides get to 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 go through, you know, come in for an hour only to send them back out to sit outside oh. to survive. That's that's what they had to do, and and this generation did what they had to do. Certainly, plenty of them didn't survive, but the ones who did, I, again, I don't want to know what my grandfather had to go through to survive. I'm sure it was traumatic. I know that because he would not share it with anybody. Uh, those those pictures really terrified me. Yeah. How about how about Dad's way he describes some of the people around him? And you're learning some of the, the Jewish terms, like the guy that was working with the, he was a Jewish guy working with the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And um, he made all sort of, um, I mean, certainly a very compromised person. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, he, and and dad introduces this Jewish word. I can't remember what it is, 
But he then he has to, you know, as the cartoonist, not only do they f- introduce the word, they define it, mm-hmm. and then dad uses it. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden you're learning um, a way of communicating and then in something that's very foreign to me. I mean, I'm, I, I wasn't brought up in a culture that used those terms. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And, and very well done. Art Spiegelman does that so well. That yes. is why this could be used in a classroom to teach that culture. Yeah. How about you, Pam? Well, so... I actually really loved that about two thirds of the way through his father finds an old comic that he's made prisoner on the hell planet, a case history. And it's in a completely different style. And it talks about his mother's death by suicide. And whoa, I just, it was so fascinating to me because you know, you're in this Holocaust, which feels like a moment from history. And then you're pulled back into something that's so individual, but so prevalent. And death by suicide has so, so many impacts on survivors, as we all know. And and the style is so different. I mean, you know, I'm not as well-versed as both of you, and especially you, Chip, on visual narrative, but the style is incredibly powerful. And the juxtaposition between the two styles just really, really moved me. And again, makes us think about trauma, right? Like this whole book is musings on trauma, cultural and individual. And so I just thought that was so powerful. It brings a couple of things to mind. First is um, things are so hopeless. So think of, look at 9-11 and people are on top of a tower, it's burning and they're choosing to jump rather than burn alive. Mm-hmm. Basically, two horrific situations, and that's exactly what this person in a suicide situation. Um, this, you know, they had to, they made a decision, absolutely horrible. Yeah, the hopelessness, um, for sure. Sure. The fact that this is just four pages in the midst oh, yeah. of this story is is stunning to me. It tells a complete story in those four pages. The, the page that kind of got me was 125. Certainly wasn't a... Um, this, they're leaving, they're going off of a, a set of roads, and the roads are a swastika. Mm-hmm. Yes. And certainly, I mean, there's nothing, I mean, it's pretty heavy handed right there. Yeah. But it just shows you that, I mean, that there is no escape. That's, that's pretty perfect. What I really liked, I also marked that panel chip, is that you have the, we had, we didn't know where to go with the swastika landscape. And then there's two panels next to it. The top panel says it was nowhere we had to hide. And then we're in the present day. And so that juxtaposition, and we're at the bank. Can I help you, Mr. Spiegelman? Yes, I have here my son, Artie. I want to sign him a key so he can also to my safety box. And so we have- Don't you love that dialect? I love that. I love it. (laughs) It's so good. But we have that juxtaposition of why is the dad who he is today? It's because he stood- in that barren landscape, standing on a representation of a swastika, not knowing where to go. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
there's a lot of, of moments in the story that have that type of power. And you look at them and you just go, wow, this is kind of interesting. And this is certainly, I mean, this is made for all ages. I, I mean, I'm not sure if this is for a three-year-old, but what I mean by that is this is a story that uh, a 10-year-old could read or, or a 50-year-old or an 80-year-old. Yeah. It certainly is the type of um, cartooning mm-hmm. that um, tells a story. I, I wonder, I'm, I'm going to mention something to you. Um, would color have made a difference than versus it being a black and white story? That's a great question. I, I can't even imagine adding color to this. There, there is no graphic violence in this, with the exception of the the killing of the young children. And if that was in color, I, I would have stopped reading. the The black and white of the just violence helps me to get through it. Yeah, I think it is. I think it needs to stay in black and white. This isn't one to be colorized. I don't think for all those reasons and because that that provides a little bit of distance mm-hmm. and need the distance to be able to process both the emotional and the rhetorical elements of this piece now you guys are going to be stunned but i really liked the ending what <laughs> i'm wanting to pause on the ending i know it seems shocking <laughs> but actually i liked the ending because i don't know what to make of it I just found it so interesting that he ends with this really deep emotional response to the fact that his father has actually destroyed his mother's papers because he says, Art says, he desperately needs his mother's notebooks, his mother's papers in order to understand himself, his story, his people's story, but also his own story. And finally, his father admits at the very last page that in a fit of depression about his wife's suicide, he in fact burned the story. And then those last few panels are so emotional. Art says, you you murderer, how could you do such a thing? And then the old man says, how could you speak to your father that way? And then as he's walking away, so telephone to me, says the old man. You should visit here more often. Don't be such a stranger. Sure, you bet. So long. And then as he's walking away, the little mouse with a vest and a briefcase, he just thinks murderer. Now, this entire novel, we've been faced with the Nazi murderer and then to use the term for his father's super depressed decision to burn the papers but guys I mean you know how much I love stories we all love stories like papers are alive Mm -hmm. like I, I believe in the term murderer for for destroying papers even though it just seems like such a devastating assessment of something that's so understandable so it's wow there's a lot going on. Think of the think of the grandfather, the father. Um, basically, he loves his his first wife. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it haunts him. Yeah, yeah. And so he's going to have these ebbs and flows. And in one of those moments, he destroyed her memory mm-hmm. because it's so painful. Uh, the 
the discovery of my grandfather's letters home from the concentration camp was quite a moment in our family when we got those documents and had them translated into into a language that we could understand and saw and felt what that message really said and what it really meant one of the things that my grandfather wrote was be calm don't panic and you know See. as a, as a person who is a, a big follower of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy every time i think don't panic I think of my grandfather's words that he wrote in those letters. He was not able to express real things in those letters. They were very uh, surface level. He was not, you know, really able to communicate, but he could communicate some things and stay calm was a, a theme. I, I just remembered what my second thought was. Uh, and, and it comes into play here. It was the, the guy who wrote the book and it was like a philosophy book. But he was a survivor of the concentration camp. And he said he knew the people that would die because they gave up hope. Mm. And mm. Um, it was, and he always made sure that he kept sort of this positive feeling, even though everything around him, even though um, I think his shoes became too small because they got wet and they shrank and he couldn't get them back on. Mm. He was crying. Or maybe that was one of the stories. But the point is, is that, they would be in a bunk at night or wherever they were sleeping and someone would be crying and he knew that the next day they were gone Yeah, because once they gave up living, that's where it would go. So on some level, you know, dad pushed to survive as much as he could, lost his wife. I mean, they were divided and lost and then came and, and kind of re built his life, but certainly, I mean, think about how distance he, uh, how much distance he has between him and his second wife. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and what she wants from him, she just wants to feel secure and he refuses to give her security. Um, and he treats her like a person separated from her as opposed to the wife. Yeah. And even the son, I mean, not sharing the, um, I mean, art, comes and gets the story, mm -hmm. but you know, eventually dad tells him that, Hey, I destroyed mom's stuff. The last thing I want to mention on this is now art, not, not that he couldn't before, but you can be incredibly empathetic to um, the American, um, the African-Americans that were brought over during slavery. Mm -hmm. There, there is no history for them. Their history is lost. Okay, so Art has his father's history that he gave him, at least when he gave him. But, you know, for a group of people, they, they don't have any knowledge uh, of any ancestors. And it's amazing how even most of us don't have that much information going back. But still, you can go back at least a period of time. So how sad that that, that was lost. Mm -hmm. And I am a person who is often visited graveyards. And so I always grew up visiting the graves of my great-grandparents because I was very close to my grandparents, my great-grandparents and my great-greats and knowing where they are. And even just reading those few simple words made them feel very, very real. And, and I think, yeah, that not, not having that, not, not having, you know, like a, a proper, processing of human remains. I mean, all of those things 
are just this devastating cultural trauma. Mm -hmm. Schindler's List at least gave a list. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you go to, to, to DC, you go into the, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial and you walk out and it's just names. Mm -hmm. And at the top of the memorial, you can hear you know, birds singing and you can hear the air moving. And some, by the time you get down to the bottom, it's just dead silence. And there, I mean, it's just incredible moving. You see people doing etchings or crayons of, of their uh, on paper. Uh, the loved one or something like that. But certainly it, it puts together an idea of how many histories that were lost. Mm -hmm. And we've got the Jewish Heritage Museum here in Chicago that has done a great job of trying to keep that history, recording the, the sounds, the voices, and the images of these survivors. They've got this holographic version of this story being told to you by a survivor in their voice. Uh, and and yes, we are losing so many of those people because this is history. This is in the past. This is two generations, maybe three generations back. And I think a book like this is incredibly important to remember, to, to be a part of this history so that we don't do this again. So that's, I think that's the most emotional book that we've ever read. Um, <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> so thank you for bringing Mouse to us this week, Chip. Uh, I look forward to our next book next month. Uh, I really think everybody out there should read this book. It's fun in some pages and it is devastating in other pages. And thinking about that history and thinking about that familial relationship is, is important. That's Mouse by Art Spiegelman, published in 1986. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. Uh, there's plenty of stuff happening in the world. Let's talk about almost none of it. Let's talk about email privacy first, Chip. Yes, this is um, DuckDuckGo seems to have brought out a new, I guess, email privacy service that I have a feeling is going to be a little challenging for many people who maybe could benefit from it. DuckDuckGo had revolutionized the search engine first. They're trying to strip away Google's power to sell you things through targeted advertising. DuckDuckGo is a site where you can go and search and they don't record any of your personal information. They made themselves a web browser that you can use DuckDuckGo web browsing to, again, strip out all of that metadata that keeps those businesses like Google functioning. And now they're trying to revolutionize email privacy. They have a new service where you can sign up for a duck.com email and you can tell websites that this is your email. And what DuckDuckGo will do is take that information, strip out any of that metadata and send you the rest of the email message to your regular inbox, whether it be Gmail or Yahoo or whatever. This is an interesting concept. It is. And once again, I mean, these things sound kind of important, but like I said, it just, it's going to be interesting to see what the execution of it and whether middle America could, can find out to do it. 
I, I agree. And, and that's why I bring it up in the scroll with it here is because I think a lot of people don't understand privacy and honestly don't care about it. Google is giving us what we want for free and thinking about what that costs us might be something to talk about. So the survey asking my favorite color and where I went to high school. And your mother's maiden name and the uh, last four digits of your social security number. I, I should I should probably not put that in. Uh, no, maybe no. I shouldn't fill that up. There's so many opportunities for, for you to share your information. <laughs> go for it. What could happen? What could go wrong, Steve? Go wrong. Steve, guess what? Warner Brother isn't, isn't the only uh, big company making news this week. Let's go with Disney. What's Disney bringing us? It's it's D23 time, Chip. D23 is the official Disney fan club, and they are bringing us D23 Expo this weekend, September 9th, 10th, and 11th. Uh, the idea of knowing what's going to happen with all of the future of Disney products from from the source is something uh, the in-person event in Anaheim, California is sold out, but you can still stream all the panels and be a part of the fun. Go to d23.com and find out all about your favorite huge company or not. I mean, you could probably find better things to do like Sven Gulli. That's what you can do instead of Disney. That's a much better, much smaller sort of entertainment. We talked to Bill Morrison at Fan Expo, and he had a great announcement to make uh, about Sven Gulli. Yeah, he was uh, working on um, a painting. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I don't know how they're going to use it yet. But, you know, this is something that's coming up for, one, the movie that's being made uh, about the life of Sven Gulli. And to a celebration of how many years, Dave? Do we know? 43 years Sven Gulli has been on the air here in Chicago. And uh, we are celebrating Rich Coe's and his entertainment that he's brought us for pretty much my entire lifetime. Uh, Sven Gulli Day in Berwyn was great. And the documentary that's being made is going to feature uh, some familiar faces to too much scrolling. This piece of art that bill morrison created is now available as a t-shirt you can go to the svenguli store and get a, a t-shirt with his wonderful art on it so i just want to let you know steve that uh in spain the 43rd anniversary it's a, it's an opal just wanted to throw that out there All right. and in germany it's lead and um just so you know how romantic those germans uh yes right <laughs> Have an opal in lead. <laughs> and in France, Steve, it's flannel. It's flannel. That's much so, more yeah. romantic than lead. <laughs> it's almost like you're in the Pacific Northwest wearing your flannel. <laughs> you can be a lumberjack in France and celebrate your 43rd anniversary. <laughs> or, or you can buy a t-shirt, Steve, with Spaghetti yeah. on it by Bill Morrison. Yep, this is the third in a series of five designs that have been released, the Svenguli Artist Collection of 2022. The link is in our show notes. I will probably throw some money at Svenguli, some more money at Svenguli to get this t-shirt. It it's really a beautiful piece of art. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. 
Yeah, we want to thank Pam Bedore for joining us for our monthly book club. Mouse was our book, and we look forward to our next book next month. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call or text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hassel. Long. We'll see you in the future. So we don't talk about what I want to talk about. What I want to thank you for. What I want.